0: Welcome to Stop Christian Nationalism, a podcast that is doing its part in the resistance against Christian nationalism. Christian nationalism comes from ancient Christian theology that's being applied to the United States of today. Christian nationalism is a religious political movement driven by the belief that the United States was predestined to in a prophecy thousands of years ago to become a powerful white supremacist Christian dictatorship. Christian nationalists believe that Christians should control government in the United States and use the power of government to force other people to comply with their religion. They use the Christian nationalist rituals of ceremonial deism, to create the appearance that the United States is a Christian nation, rather than what it actually is, a pluralistic, secular democracy. Now, the Republican Party, we know, is pushing Christian nationalism into all levels of government in the United States, local, state, national. And they're doing it as hard as they possibly can. There is not a single High profile Republican who has the courage to stand against Christian nationalism. This week in Pennsylvania, former President Donald Trump, who may be on the verge of declaring his candidacy for president again in 2024, pledged to use the power of the U.S. federal government to promote Christianity over other religions and over non-religious identity. We will defend the Second Amendment and we will proudly uphold the Judeo-Christian values and principles of our nation's founding. We will restore patriotic education to our schools and we will teach our children to love their country, honor our history, and to always respect our great American flag. Judeo-Christian values and principles? What are those? And what is that all about? Judeo-Christian. Well, there, of course, is not any pretense at all that Hindus, Buddhists, Muslims, and members of... Other religious traditions are included in this Judeo-Christian label. But what about Judaism? Well, the strange thing about the label Judeo-Christian is that it is almost never used by anyone other than Christians. Not even Jews use it very much. Even as it makes a gesture toward including Judaism, it actually excludes Judaism in practice. Whenever politicians talk about Judeo-Christian values, they only refer to Christian values. They never talk about observing a Sabbath on Saturday. They talk about going to church. They don't talk about rabbinical texts. They talk about the Christian Bible. They don't talk about observing kosher regulations. They talk about Jesus So this term, Judeo-Christian, is a sham. It's a thin cover for a purely Christian agenda and a Christian nationalism that seeks to convert the United States from a pluralistic democracy into a totalitarian religious regime in which only Christians have access to power. But listen to Donald Trump here talking about how we're going to restore patriotic education and teach American children to love their country. You know, what if we, instead of teaching our children to love their country, we gave them instead a country that they could love, a country that deserved their love. Love for your country is... Something that if you have to instruct it in school, you're already doing something wrong. And one of the things that we have to love about our country is that it is one of the few in the world that at least claims that it is going to try to give equality to all people, regardless of their religion. Donald Trump is proposing to destroy that to use the government to promote one religion and to shove all the others off to the margin and to make being American about being a Christian. Well, we are all familiar with the threat to American democracy that Donald Trump and his Christian nationalist followers uh, present. But, uh, you know, Donald Trump has... uh, converted the GOP into a party that's centered around Christian nationalism. That is the one thing now that uh, Republican politicians seem to have in common. So many Christian nationalists are Republican. And for that reason, it's easy to think that we can just defeat Christian nationalism by defeating the Republican Party. Um, Now, there's been a lot in the news this week, as there is every week, about the activities of some really nasty Republican Christian nationalists. But I want to take this week to pursue a different line, to show something a little bit more subtle and um, in a way uh, just as dangerous not coming from the Republican extremism of Christian nationalism. Because this week, America received a reminder that Christian nationalism is not just a problem in the Republican Party. Christian nationalism has a grip on the Democratic Party as well, and that is also a problem. So you probably heard that... President Joe Biden gave a speech this week in which he warned that the Trump wing of the Republican Party is a danger to democracy. What you may not have heard and you may not have noticed if you didn't listen to the speech itself um, as it was actually given by Joe Biden and not just covered in the news is that even while Biden condemned the ideological extremism of the Trump Republicans, he actually embraced the Christian nationalism that motivates that extremism. I want you to listen to some of what President Biden actually had to say in that speech. I ran for president because I believe we're in a battle for the soul of this nation. I still believe that to be true. I believe the soul is the breath, the life, and the essence of who we are. The soul is what makes us us. The soul of America is defined by the sacred proposition that all are created equal in the image of God. So here, President Joe Biden is talking about a religious battle, a Christian battle for the soul of the United States and what he believes to be true. All of this talk about souls and about people being created in the image of the Christian God. But then Joe Biden went further and he ended his speech with a Christian nationalist religious invocation. The greatest nation on the face of the earth. We just need to remember who we are. We are the United States of America, the United States of America, and may God protect our nation, and may God protect all those who stand watch over our democracy. God bless you all. Were you able to hear the religious content of what President Joe Biden was saying here? The concept that the United States is a Christian nation that has been created by and protected by the Christian God, defined by sacred beliefs in religious notions such as souls and the divine creation of humanity, is straight out of Christian nationalism. It is not necessary for politicians to end every speech with a Christian religious blessing. It wasn't always this way in the United States. That isn't something that... Politicians have always done. And Joe Biden this week could have ended his speech by saying something like, I believe in you and I believe in America. That has the same kind of tone uh, of bringing a nice crisp end to the speech. And it affirms America without putting Christians and their beliefs above everything else without making it about some belief in a God, without making America be about Christian identity. Remember, this is a speech by the President of the United States. It's not just something that he whipped off, like I'm whipping off this podcast. Every word of Joe Biden's speech was written ahead of time, not by Joe Biden alone but by a team of speechwriters. That team of speechwriters argued over every word. Every word in that speech was put in there with a purpose. The purpose of the Christian nationalist language in Joe Biden's speech that you just heard was to send a message to Christian nationalists who currently support Donald Trump. The message was this, that Joe Biden and... His Democratic followers, they're not going to do anything to end Christian privilege in America. Under President Biden, Christians will continue to enjoy special rights that are denied to members of other religions and denied to people who are not religious. Joe Biden's speech promises this implicit deal with Republican Christian nationalists. The deal is that Christian nationalists can keep their special access to power, can keep their special rights, and can keep on denying the equal rights of non-Christian Americans. The only thing that Christian nationalists have to do as part of this deal is to not be so overtly fascist about it all. Joe Biden's tone suggests that all that he's asking the Christian nationalists to do is just not to be so flamboyantly cruel about their religious ideology and their political agenda, to not explicitly call for the end of democracy, but just keep on marginalizing non-Christian Americans. Well, I hope that you can see the problem with this deal The problem is that Christian nationalism is always inherently fascist. Christian nationalism is always cruel. Christian nationalism is always opposed to democracy, even when it doesn't show its most militant face. Joe Biden's implicit deal with Christian nationalists is to create two Americas one America for Christians and another America for everyone else. In this Christian America, people would get full access to representation in their government. Christians would get to set the terms for everybody. In non-Christian America, though, people would have to continue to have restricted representation in their own government Non-Christians would still be forced to participate in Christian rituals, to swear Christian oaths, to accept Christian supremacy. The beliefs and practices of non-Christians would continue to be excluded from the government while Christians would be allowed to spread their Christianity throughout the government, as if the separation of church and state didn't exist. Now, non-Christians are 40% of the population of the United States. We deserve to be treated equally. Preserving the current system of first-class citizenship for Christians and second-class citizenship for everybody else is not okay. So it's not okay for Joe Biden to use the constitutional rights of non-Christian Americans as a bargaining chip. It's not okay for Joe Biden to agree to keep non-Christians as second-class citizens in exchange for Christian nationalists agreeing not to wage violent revolution. That is not freedom, it's extortion. The United States of America is a democracy that is supposed to equally represent all of the people living within its borders, not just the Christians. Our government is not a church, and the president is not a high priest. We don't need political leaders to give us supernatural blessings or to deliver sermons uh, about our souls. The job of these politicians, these public officials, is to organize and execute practical plans to take care of our practical needs. Unfortunately, Joe Biden is not the only democratic politician in the federal government who promotes Christian nationalist ideology. The rules by which our government operates are established by the Constitution. The first amendment to the Constitution is very clear in creating protection from religious power over the people's government. The First Amendment states, quote, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, unquote. With complete disregard for this First Amendment, the U.S. House of Representatives is currently considering H.R. 301, that's legislation that would establish an official government sanctioned national hymn. This legislation was introduced not by Republicans but by Democrats. Now a hymn. A hymn is by definition religious and is Christian by default. The Merriam-Webster dictionary defines a hymn primarily as, quote, a song of praise to God. Unquote. The word God in there is capitalized, and that's a practice that signifies uh, a reference to the Christian God in particular, and reverence for that Christian God. Their second definition of a hymn is quote, a metrical composition adapted for singing in a religious service. Unquote. So hymns are Christian songs. That are used as part of Christian rituals containing lyrics that promote Christian religious beliefs. A report in support of H.R. 301, submitted by Representative Gerald Nadler from the House Judiciary Committee, states that the proposed national hymn quote, is a beloved hymn that is currently produced and distributed by approximately 40 religious publishing houses throughout the United States, unquote, and says that it is, quote, regularly sung at various religious services, unquote. Various religious services? Not really. In fact, this proposed hymn is not beloved by all Americans. The proposed national hymn is only sung at Christian religious services, and only in the churches of some branches of Christianity. Although the Congressional Report states that H.R. 301 is intended to foster national unity, and that's a quote, intended to foster national unity. Actually, by violating the First Amendment of the Constitution, H.R. 301 promotes the divisive And discriminatory religious ideology of Christian nationalism. The proposed national hymn would take Christian religious beliefs of only some Americans and elevate them to a status representing all Americans. That is in direct defiance of the First Amendment. The Congressional Report specifically mentions that the proposed national hymn, quote, is sung at gatherings of the Faith and Politics Institute, whose bipartisan programs and pilgrimages include participation by members of Congress, unquote. Remember this name, the Faith and Politics Institute. What is it? The Faith and Politics Institute is an organization that uses Christianity as a cover for corporate lobbying of members of Congress. A suspiciously high number of members of the board of the Faith and Politics Institute are registered lobbyists, and these include the following people. David Marventano. He's chair of the board of the Faith and Politics Institute and a lobbyist for the construction company Fluor, and husband of Jessica Marventano, lobbyist for iHeartMedia and Clear Channel Communications. That's a big media corporation. Joyce Brayboy is vice chair of the board of the Faith and Politics Institute. And is a lobbyist for the Wall Street investment company Goldman Sachs, and was recognized as lobbyist of the year by the Washington Government Relations Group. Another member of the board of the Faith and Politics Institute, Matt Gelman, is a lobbyist for Microsoft. Another member of the board is Dan Kennery, lobbyist for Anheuser-Busch. Another member of the Faith and Politics Institute board is Nate Gatton, a lobbyist for American Airlines and former lobbyist for Wall Street investment firm, J.P. Morgan Chase. Another board member is Tiffany M. Moore, a lobbyist for the Consumer Technology Association. Another lobbyist on the board of the Faith and Politics Institute is uh, Martha Roby. Uh, she's a lobbyist with the Bradley firm representing multiple corporate clients. Al Thompson is a member of the board and is a lobbyist for Intel Corporation and a former lobbyist for the Military Contractor Corporation, Raytheon. Norma Kaler is a member of the board and a former lobbyist for American Airlines. And Jane Campbell, another lobbyist for the National Development Council, is on the board of the Faith and Politics Institute. There are more lobbyists ...than any other group, uh, any other kind of demographic uh, represented on this board of the Faith and Politics Institute. The Faith and Politics Institute is not just an organization that works to undermine the separation of church and state... By using the power of religion to influence secular government, it is also a channel for political corruption. It is a place where lobbyists use the cover of religion to gain access to leaders in the federal government, where they can promote their clients' interests. In the past, the Faith and Politics Institute has demanded that lobbyists pay fees— as high as $25,000, just in order to participate in its events where they can meet members of Congress. So, this Christian song that's been proposed in H.R. 301 as a national hymn, that Christian song contains the core message of Christian nationalism. <clears throat> the assertion that the United States is subject to the dominion of the Christian God. Here's how that song ends with these words. Quote, keep us forever in the path, we pray, lest our feet stray from the places, our God, where we met thee. Lest our hearts drunk with the wine of the world, we forget thee. Shadowed beneath thy hand, may we forever stand. True to our God, true to our native land. Making it seem, oh, that's the end of it. um, These lyrics are suggesting that to be true to your native land and to be true to the Christian God, the same thing saying that to be American is to be Christian and is praying that the United States is kept underneath the hand of the Christian God in the path of Christianity. This is a hymn to Christian nationalism. Though its supporters, the people who like this song, they may see it differently that Christian nationalist ideology is right there in its lyrics, as well as in the implementation of trying to have an official act of Congress creating an official religious song for the United States. So supporters of H.R. 301 may say that this proposed national hymn is a song of progressive social justice, because the fact is that this song was used as a theme song during the anti-racist civil rights movement, of the 1960s. The problem with this justification is that Christian nationalism in the United States is always inherently racist, even when it is promoted by African Americans in the name of the civil rights movement. Any political movement that uses Christian nationalism to advance its cause also advances the cause of racism. That is because Christian nationalism is rooted in racist Christian theology that simultaneously claims that on the one hand, the United States was founded as a manifestation of ancient religious prophecy, and on the other hand, that slavery and the general subjugation of people of African ancestry uh, is justified by that very same ancient religious prophecy." Slavery and racist oppression have the same origin as Christian nationalism. In this prophecy, the curse of Ham and the enlargement of Japheth. Listen to uh, our previous uh, podcast episode, which is dedicated to this uh, theological doctrine. These Uh, Same ideas, racism and Christian nationalism, they come from the very same words in Genesis chapter 9. And for this reason, it is impossible to embrace the idea that the United States is a Christian nation and should have official government forms of Christian worship, such as a national hymn, without strengthening the hand of white supremacist racists. Now, even putting the racism aside, imposing a Christian hymn on all Americans is an inherently authoritarian, discriminatory, and anti-democratic move. No one can have civil rights in a country that uses the power of government to impose religion on people. You cannot use the tools of oppression to fight oppression. This Christian Nationalist Bill was written and introduced by Representative James Clyburn of the 6th Congressional District of South Carolina. But, you know, uh, Clyburn does not stand alone in his support of H.R. 301. No, the bill has 44 other co-sponsors, and all of them are Democrats. And, you know, I was going to list all of these out Um, uh, Each and every one of their name Uh, But I started to read the list And I realized this is going to take a really long time So you can go to the website StopChristianNationalism.com And search for um, National Hymn Or HR301 A period after the H&R And uh, you'll find an article That lists all of these uh, politicians' names, so that you can know who they are and you can get in touch with them. Please mentioning specifically HR three zero one and the bill to create a national hymn. Let them know that this is Christian nationalism, and you don't appreciate them supporting that. So, this brings us this brings us to a larger uh, topic, which is what should we do? In response, when Democratic politicians join Republicans in supporting Christian nationalism, or even when Democrats on their own create their very own legislation to promote Christian nationalism, what do we do with that? And here's the trick. When we oppose Christian nationalism, uh, we have to abandon uh, simplistic, moral um, views of the way that we act in the world. We abandon the easy opposition between God and the devil, what's moral and righteous and what's sinful. Um, James Clyburn, the author of H.R. 301 has shown a disregard for the separation of church and state, uh, has shown disdain for the first amendment and the constitution. And James Clyburn, whether he likes to think he's doing this or not, is strengthening the hand of white supremacist Christian nationalism. On the other hand, uh, Dwayne Buckner, who is Clyburn's Republican opponent in this year's election to represent the 6th Congressional District of South Carolina in Congress, also supports Christian nationalism including a complete nationwide ban on abortions. Nationwide, without any exception, including in cases of rape and pregnancies that will kill the mother. So, democracy is what we have. This is the tool we have to deal with leaders like this. But, you know, religion promises us a black and white, clear, moral line. And democracy is not like that, because it's in the real world, and the real world is complicated. Democracy does not promise us a choice between good and evil, between right and wrong, between a candidate who represents us and another one who opposes what we believe in absolutely all the time. We won't always get to cast a vote for a candidate who opposes Christian nationalism this is because Christian nationalists have worked so hard to insinuate their anti-democratic ideology into American politics. So sometimes all we can do is to vote for the least Christian nationalist of two candidates that we're presented with. That's the action that we take on election day. So in the case of South Carolina's 6th Congressional District, conscientious voters this November will be forced to decide who is more Christian nationalist and nasty. Is it James Clyburn or is it Dwayne Buckner? Which of them is less extreme? But that's this November. It's too late to change that contest. Um, But you know, next time, it can be different. In the United States, voters have the right to select who their party's candidates are for public office. The actual rank-and-file members have a say in this process. So two years from now, another Democrat, a better Democrat, a Democrat who does not support Christian nationalism, could challenge James Clyburn in the Democratic Party primary election for the right to run as the Democratic candidate for South Carolina's sixth congressional district seat. A year after that, a better Democrat could also challenge Joe Biden to become the Democratic presidential candidate in 2024. We could have a Democrat who firmly stands against Christian nationalism, instead of Joe Biden, who tries to criticize fascism on the one hand, but then embraces Christian nationalism on the other hand. We could do better. When we see Republican politicians promoting Christian nationalism, we are not surprised. We understand that's what the Republican Party is all about. But when we see Democratic Party politicians promoting Christian nationalism, we cannot just look the other way. We can't just say, well, we want to defeat the Republicans because we know that they're bad, so we're going to vote for Democrats who are doing the same bad things, even though they're a little bit less bad. Uh, We can't just look the other way and accept that the Democratic Party is the, the way that it is. We need to do what's necessary to get better Democratic Party candidates for public office. And this effort is going to require a different level of activism on our part, on the part of Democrats. It requires us to do more than just showing up to vote every now and then. It requires us to become informed about the details of public policy and party politics and to get involved in the selection of quality candidates who will stand firm against Christian nationalism. If you care enough, you will get involved. And let me suggest that in informing yourself, you go more straight to the source of information. Instead of just turning on your TV or a podcast like this one, as much as I love podcasts, you can get your information about national legislation by going to congress.gov. And you can search for keywords that are related to Christian nationalism. And you can see who is promoting Christian nationalist ideas, who is giving speeches on the floor of Congress supporting Christian nationalism. Nationalism. You can also do the same with your particular state's uh, state legislature. Each state, of course, has its own website. And then we can take the next step. And I like to end each episode of Stop Christian Nationalism with a particular idea for something that we can do to really get involved in the resistance against Christian nationalism. And today, I just want to talk about the importance of speaking up when you see Christian nationalism happening, because our voices are the best tools of resistance to Christian nationalism that we have. We need to speak up, and we need to let other people know about what Christian nationalists are doing. We also need to go further, though, and we need to report Christian nationalist activity when it violates the law or the rules of the platforms that Christian nationalists are using. So I want to give a specific example. Um, Last week, I came across a message on Twitter, a tweet. The tweet seems like a minor thing, right? Only this tweet uh, was an incitement to violent revolution against the government of the United States of America. And that is not just a little thing. It's not just a tweet. It's something really serious. This uh, message was issued by an account holder uh, using the Twitter username, the Christian Crusader. The Christian Crusader has a real name, which is Brianna Osborne. And Brianna Osborne lives in Long Beach, California. In her profile, Brianna Osborne urged Christians to, quote, organize and put on the full armor of God to defeat the enemy and save America from secularization. Secularization. I just want to remind you what secularization actually means. Um, It actually just means having a space where Religion is not the boss of everybody. That's all that it means. It doesn't mean opposing religion. Just letting there be a space where people can be themselves and not have Christians control everything. But that is the enemy that Brianna wants um, people to put on the full armor of God against. So when I saw this message... um, I took a look uh, to see what else Brianna was saying, and I saw that she had a message pinned to the top of her Twitter board, which says, quote, We need to start a Christian crusade and begin fighting this spiritual and physical war that Satan, through the Democrats and other non-Christians, is taking over this country, Now, I know... That's not quite grammatically correct. That's the way that Brianna Osborne thinks. It's not quite clear. But what is quite clear is that Brianna is urging other Christians to um, begin a physical war against non-Christian Americans. To become physically violent against non-Christian Americans. That is incitement to violence. But even more than that, she's not just talking about individual violence against non-Christians. She's talking about a physical war. Those are her words, physical war. You combine that with what she said before, put on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God is a dog whistle for genocide by Christian nationalists. And that's pretty serious stuff because it is actually illegal to incite a government insurrection and violence against people just because they don't share your religion. It's also against Twitter policies to post a message like that. So when I saw this message I reported it to Twitter and in response Twitter temporarily blocked Brianna Osborne from accessing her account and sent me this message, Quote, "We locked Brianna Osborne 13's account For breaking our hateful conduct rule, we found that they broke our hateful conduct rule through different reports we received about their behavior. They cannot tweet, retweet, or like content, and we will ask them to remove the reported content if they want to regain full access to their account. Your safety is important to us. If they break our rules again, we will respond with a more severe action, like suspension. Unquote. And uh, then I got a second message saying that a further investigation found that Brianna Osborne, the Christian Crusader, violated Twitter's rules by displaying gratuitous gore. That is the actual phrase that the investigation used. They found that the Christian Crusader was spreading gratuitous. Gore. Think about that in terms of the moral values of Christian nationalists. Well, since I received these reports, unfortunately, Brianna Osborne has resumed her activity on Twitter as the Christian crusader, and she continues to post that very same message. She has put it back up. If it was removed, that same message calling for physical war, violence against non-Christian Americans. So, what can I do? Well, I reported her activity to Twitter again, and I will be monitoring that account. Here's the thing. That's not as strong an action as what Brianna Osborne is called, and this can feel really um, imbalanced. On the one hand, Christian nationalists are organizing for physical war against uh, non-religious Americans, a genocide is what they're planning. On the other hand, we can make reports to Twitter. And if things get worse, we can make reports to the police. Uh, That's not balanced. It's true. But it's what we can do because unlike Christian nationalists, we're actually going to be restrained by our respect for the rule of law because we believe in democracy. We don't believe that we have some kind of invisible desert spirit from the middle east who's on our side that morally justifies anything that we decide that we want to do any violence any oppression of other people we don't believe in that kind of thing if we are opposed to christian nationalism so we don't believe that we have the moral right to just squash christian nationalists like bugs though that's the way they feel about us like brianna osborne said dehumanizing non-Christians by saying that we are the tools of Satan. Uh, Satan is um, like this comic book, devil character. Nobody has ever seen Satan. But Brianna Osborne believes that Satan exists. So we can respond uh, to Christian nationalist calls to genocide, not with violence, uh, but with legal and democratic means that exist to restrain Christian nationalists as they are trying to provoke a new civil war. In the United States, we have the right to free speech and to freedom of assembly. Those freedoms do not extend, however, to commercial spheres, and they certainly do not extend to the right to speak and assemble in order to organize a violent revolution to kill Americans and to overthrow the government. So we need to be restrained and legal in our response, but we can't just be passive. We can't look at these messages that threaten people with violence and just accept them, just accept that that's the way that Christian nationalists are. These threats often cross the threshold into criminal activity, and even when they don't, they violate the terms of social media platforms. So we have the right to physical safety, uh, but there is no right to, to threaten other people with physical violence. Christian nationalists will skirt the boundaries of the laws that are designed to protect us from physical threats by claiming that somehow they, even though they're writing and speaking these threats, they somehow are not the ones making those threats. They will claim that it's their God that is actually speaking, that their God, their invisible God that they speak to in their heads, wants to kill us and torture us by waging a holy war that will destroy the United States and replace it with a violent kingdom of God. Of course, their God never shows up, does he? If a person started shouting at other people around him that his invisible friend wanted to torture and kill them, and would soon begin to do so, you know what would happen. The police would show up very quickly and charge that person with making threats of physical violence because they would understand who was making those threats. It wasn't the invisible friend. It was the guy on the street shouting at people, right? Now, here's the trick. When Christians make the same kind of threats against the rest of us, they are given special protection, because they can claim that it's all a part of their Christian religious practice to make threats of physical violence against non-Christians. When Christian nationalists say that threatening people with violence is part of their freedom of religion, uh, we can respond by asking for protection from their threats and by bringing attention to those threats. Bringing attention to what the Christian nationalists are saying and doing is important because people are less likely to engage in acts of violence when they know that they are being watched, except for the extreme psychopaths. People are also less likely to join the ranks of Christian nationalism when they can see how crude and abusive Christian nationalism really is. I want to thank you for listening once again to this podcast, Stop Christian Nationalism. This podcast is going to be available at the beginning of every week, a new episode, until we do what this podcast aims to do in its title, Stopping Christian Nationalism. So I look forward um, to meeting you here again next week, because frankly, we have a lot to talk about.